This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour, the best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. Happy to be with you today, as I am every week, talking about the mental side of sports. You know, I love doing this show. I've been on the air for 30 years in Kansas City, the last 20 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our shows are podcasted everywhere, rebroadcast in a number of cities around the country as well. And if you hear a little noise in the background, it is thundering here right now quite loudly, as a matter of fact. Anyway, love doing this show because we get into psychology, we get into sports, and each week I try to bring up topics that are relevant to what's going on. You know, I've had a number of guests on this year talk about all kinds of topics. And today, I have a good friend on who I've known for a while. He's been on before. His name's Rob Shipman. He is one of the top teaching professionals in golf in the country, especially here in the Midwest. He's at Milburn Country Club here in Kansas City. Rob's been on with me before. And we're going to talk about the mental side of golf. But, of course, it applies to everything and all sports. And Rob's been on, as I said, with me before several times. And we talk about how to focus, how to concentrate, the issues that come up with golf. I take lessons from him. He, he knows what he's doing. Uh, I know a number of, of people who've worked with him. And, and he's also worked with dozens and dozens of state champions and so rob good morning thanks for being with me it's great to see you again good morning andy thank you for having me you know how many high school champions have you coached i have taught over 80 state champions in high school and i think that just shows how old i am (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you're not as old as me but um you you have done this a long time and it means you know what you're doing and i of course i've worked with several of these these young people that we've worked on together from a psychological perspective. And when it comes to golf, let's let's just start off right away. When it comes to playing golf, how much of golf is mental? The old saying is 95% of golf is mental. You know, that's just the old saying going back to the Ben Hogan days. But what, you know, people say, you know, I played yesterday and uh, played with a couple of guys I play with every week and and, and a new person played with us and my one friend said, you know, Andy's a sports psychologist. He goes, oh, man, my game sucks. I need to talk to you. I mean, I get that all the time from everybody when they meet me about how their game sucks. That's what they tell me. You know, yeah. mentally, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a mess. So they're beat before they even take it back. Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. I mean, y- you and I have talked about this before, and you give lessons to, to, to all kinds of people. But you had a young lady once you told me that she always wanted to finish her lesson with a bad shot. Tell us, remember that? Tell tell us about that. I do. Um, yeah, her name was uh, her name is Jordan Shale. She ended up playing at uh, Kentucky, and she was a very very good player. She was a state champion, and she she was really. I don't even know if I ever taught anybody else that did this. 
But most people, when they get done, they're hitting golf balls. I don't know how you are. I know how I am. They want to end on a good one. They'll hit till they hit a good one if they're going to quit. Well, she would hit till she hit a bad one. And I and it was just odd. And I asked her one time, why you want to end on a bad one? She goes, because I know I don't hit two bad ones in a row, and I know the next time I show up, the next one will be good. You know, I love that when you told me that. Different thought, isn't it? Well, it, you know, as you know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. Years ago, Tiger Woods played a practice round before the Masters, which he won that year. He's playing with Marco Mir down in Orlando, and he shot 59. And the press got wind of it halfway through, and they're all there. A bunch of them were interviewing him when he finished. Gosh, Tiger, you're you're on. You must be feeling great. No, no. I should have shot 57 today. I left two putts short. I mean, it was like there's always something else you can do. There's always something else you can improve on, right? And in this sport, that's how it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. So how do we let let's let's for people listening and our shows are you know podcast all over the place. People playing golf, of course, it's it's now May. People are out getting out playing. The courses are open. The weather's good. How do you get mentally prepared to play? What's let's start with that, Rob. What's the best way to get mentally prepared to play golf? Well, I, I'll tell you how I do, and I'm big on uh, repetitive drills. So, for instance putting i like to see people try to make 24 three footers in a row around the hole because if you just keep making the shot over and over and over you start to gain confidence that you can make that shot let me interrupt you right there because when i when i work with with golfers and we talk about putting i always say start with about a two to three foot putt and make some of those and then gradually go back because i get people i drop up 30 feet back and i try to make this no no Start up sh- short, build your confidence because you build it. If you make the build, you know, short ones get a little bit longer, a little bit longer confidence. So that's exactly what you're saying. That's exactly right. And I say three feet for most golfers. If they're just beginning, it may be one or two feet at first. You know, it might be, but for most people, it's three feet. So there's that word confidence. You know, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? What's it mean to you? I, I, I don't know. Just to me, it means uh, to think you're going to do what you're trying to do. Have faith that you're gonna. It's going to do what you want it to do. I always say confidence is the easiest thing in the world to lose and the hardest thing in the world to gain. Yeah. Why is that? Why especially do you think, in golf? Well, we get, didn't go. Yeah. yeah. Why? I mean, I, I've had players. You know, I've worked with players forever, as you know. And I'll have people talk to me. You know, I'll, I'll be playing great for eight holes. Then in the ninth hole, I duck hook my drive into the weeds. I'm over in the rough, and I can't get out. I triple bogey the hole, and I'm done for the day. So I was just going to ask you when you, if you're playing well and you duck hook one, the next shot do you feel like you're going to duck hook it? I don't. Okay, because I, you know, just being how many lessons I give and how many people I deal with, you see people have different personality traits, and I know kids that can hit five bad shots in a row and still think they're going to hit a great shot the next shot. I teach other kids who could hit ten good shots in a row, and still think they might not hit a good shot it's just that's personality it's personality but doesn't it also <clears throat> excuse me doesn't it also come from you know i, I would say we're, there, we're reflections of three things our genetics which we can't change right the way we were raised which we can't change but the environment we're in now which we can do a lot about right so doesn't that have in, in, of the young people you work with doesn't that have a lot to do with 
how they were raised, not just in golf, but in life in terms of success and failure, how they look at that, how they handle that, and how they respond uh, to it? I think all three things you just said do play into it. Absolutely. So when you've got a young person coming in to work with you, and you can, and, and you, look, I would say a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist, and, and you're a very, very, you're a great coach, actually, and, and you read people. You have to, as a golf pro, you have to read their personalities, right? Because that's how you're going to teach them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you are somewhat of a psychologist, I guess, in how you deal with them. There are some people you can be hard with, and there are other people you have to treat with kid gloves. There are other people you can be very critical of them the whole time, and it's no problem. And other people, you have to constantly support them. So when you've got a young person who comes in, and you can tell right off the bat, which I'm sure you probably can after five, ten minutes with them, if they're lacking confidence, then what do you, what, what do, you do? How do you start to work with them? You know, just excuse me. And can you pretty much tell after a few minutes? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you can. When people first come in, they fill out a sheet. I talk to them about their game, and you can you can see it. You can tell if they how they are. So, if you've got a positive person, and we'll continue this after our break here, if you have a really positive person, do you focus as much on the psychological perspective or more on technique? And if you have somebody who's more mental. More negative, do you spo- focus more on the psychological stuff? Absolutely. So there's a question on the sheet that's, um, you know, what are you, do you have any uh, physical attributes, you know, like a, a hurt leg or a bad arm, whatever it is. And sometimes people will say, my mind. They'll say it. I hear it, I hear it probably two and ten times. Well, we're going to get into this after our break here. I want to talk with you more about this. My guest this morning is Rob Shipman from the Shipman Golf Institute here in Kansas City. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. 
And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest this morning is Rob Shipman from the Shipman Golf Institute here in Kansas City. He's at Milburn Country Club. And I love having Rob on the show because we get into this whole discussion about psychology and golf, which if you play golf, you know is what it's all about. So... Confidence, Rob, we were talking about that before our first break here. How do you build a player's confidence? Who, who, when you're teaching and somebody comes in and you can tell right off the bat they've got a confidence issue, what do you do? Well, like we were discussing earlier, I, I'm a big advocate of counting shots and hitting shots and standing on the range and counting shots, whether it be putts or shots. For example, say I'm teaching a kid and we're trying to hit the ball right to left or just make it curve left. We'll hit 10 shots in a row and count how many we can hit to the left or get going to the left. Then we might hit 10 in a row and make it go to the right and count them. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have this one kid I teach, and he says, I want to go on the golf course because I can do it on the range, but I can't do it on the golf course. I'm like, okay, let's go out to the range first and hit. And I said, okay, let's hit this shot. We hit it 10 times, and he hit it three times. And after he hit it three times, he turned to me and said, see, I know I can do it here. I'm like, you just did it three out of ten times. That's 30%. That means there's a 30% chance you're going to hit a good shot on the golf course. So I think the goals are a little unrealistic there in the fact that you think you can do it every time on the golf course if you can only do it three out of ten times on the driving range. So where does 
the importance of mental preparation come in with that because, like I said, no matter who you are, you're going to hit a bad shot. Everybody, I mean, Jack Nichols was quoted when he would play as close to a perfect round of golf as he could. He'd shoot a score between 63 and 68 with five to eight miss hits. Of course, I'd love to have one of Jack Nichols's miss hits because that would be the greatest shot I've ever hit. But nonetheless, basically that's one out of every 13 shots is going to be a miss hit, according to him. And he's, you know, arguably the, one of the greatest golfers ever. So what do you say to a high school kid who, or, or a younger person who's trying to learn and, and they're mishitting a lot of shots? Well, what I do, and I, I'm sure you do the same thing, is I try to put the focus on the, um, the process and not the score. You're going to hit bad. The golf, the game is hard. The club's moving 100 miles an hour. You're hitting another one-inch spot. If the face is open one or two degrees or one to two degrees off plane, it's going to be a bad shot. So I always put it on the, on the process and not the score. I, I want everyone to prepare. I want them to try to hit the shot. Everyone hits bad shots. Accept the bad shot. Move on to the next one. I mean, wasn't it um, Ben Hogan said the most important shot in golf is the next one? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've got a, a prominent NFL player I work with, and he just actually brought brought me his jersey, uh, which I've got on the wall in my office, and he has FOE on there because we talked about focus on effort. Because uh-huh. I was talking about focus on effort instead of results. And when you focus on effort, you're not thinking about score. In fact, Years ago, I worked with a college player, and he would talk to me about, he'd be so angry about his score. And I would say, you know what, your score is irrelevant till the putt goes in on 18. You need to focus on, on TNS, the next shot, the next shot, the next shot. And so we got into a mental routine where, you know, he, he would try not to think, it's pretty hard to not think about your score, because... That's where your confidence starts to go, right? Well, I'm two over, you know, if you're if you're a scratch golfer, you're two over par after eight holes, you start thinking, oh, boy, I better make a birdie. And then you're focusing so much on the score instead of the effort. That's correct. About, you know, and on that subject, you know, you're talking about football, and that, this is a question I'm going to pose to you when I'm dealing with kids, or, or it doesn't have to be kids, anybody. In most sports, if you you try harder, you do better you know, athletic sports. But in golf, trying harder sometimes leads to anxiety and tightness. In golf, you almost have to let it, you almost have to not try even though you are trying. Would you agree with that? I agree 100%. Now, here's the thing. And it's not just golf. It's, it's, It's sports where you have to really focus and concentrate. Golf, bowling, archery, diving, gymnastics, riflery, things like that. Where it's or or even if you're pitching, not hitting a baseball, hitting hitting somewhat, but pitching, because it's all about being relaxed and focused on what you're doing. If you're playing another a, a team sport or something where you're running around and all that, that's different. But when you're when it's just you and you've got to relax and focus on what you're about to do, that's more the effort and and the concentration than it is more of, of the motivation. You know right. the, the intensity yeah. level. Yeah. And so that that is the key thing. I mean, you've told me. You know, when I take lessons from you, relax, you hit the ball better. Yeah, I think relaxed muscles move faster and freer than tight muscles do. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Rob Shipman from the Shipman Golf Institute here in Kansas City. Um, when you get this, this confidence stuff going on with a player, I can't hit this shot. You know, I can hit my short irons, but I can hit my long irons. What do you say to them? Because because it's the swings. You're, you're, the, the golf swing, let me ask you, is the golf swing the same or is it different? 
It's pretty much the same, but you know, I, I'm sure I've probably said this to you, probably. Um, oh, I'm sure you have. There's <laughs> a difference in golf because golf is hard, and trying to hit a shot that you don't have the angles correct on, and trying to hit a shot that's hard. And so we, you know, we I use a lot of video, so that that way I can show and demonstrate if people have this the geometry correct, the math correct to hit the shot. Because golf is hard. But, you know, there is a difference between being a shot being hard and you trying to do something that's not possible. So I'm always trying to get people where they at least have a, have a chance to hit it. So visualization, as you know, is a big part of what I work with athletes on. And I talk about having a consistent mental routine before you go play your sport, whatever you're going to do. And with golf, the pre-shot routine is obviously a huge component of, of success for people. And part of that pre-shot routine to me involved visualizing the shot before you hit it. Tell us about what you work with people on with that. It's the same, exactly the same. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. There's a couple things there. If you watch tour golf, you'll see those guys stand behind it, visualize it, set up the same way, same count every time. It is a constant fight for me to take a player and get them to pick an intermediate line, do the pre-shot routine, and hit it. When I work with people, one of the things I always tell them, you know, you get to the driving range, you start to warm up. You know, you're swinging, loosening up, whatever. But then when you start getting serious about hitting shots, go through, and you're a serious player, do the pre-shot routine on every shot on the range. Stand behind the ball, visualize it, see where you want it to go, get set, do, go through your routine, and do the same thing. If you're really serious, I think that makes a difference, doesn't it? I do, too. I do, too. I mean, even if you go on the PGA Tour and you stood on the range with those guys, you see they always have a stick or a guide down while they're hitting, almost all of them. And then you go to the range at you know any golf course on a Saturday afternoon, and you won't see one down. And I tell every person to have that thing down every time. I put it down when we take lessons, just trying to get them in the habit of being lined up. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest this morning is Rob Shipman from the Shipman Golf Institute here in Kansas City at Milburn Country Club. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment. We come back from our break. We're going to talk about parents, pressures, and the pressures today. As Rob's taught for, for over 30 years, just as I've been in practice for 40 years, I've seen a change in parents, the pressures, the expectations, the demands placed on kids. Golf is a very popular sport. It's a great sport. It's a sport you play for life. And I want to talk about that with him as we come back from our break. Once again, we're talking about the mental side of, of sports on this show every week. We talk about all kinds of things. And today we're talking about the psychological aspects of golf. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist... With 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio, 810 WHB in Kansas City. And I've got... A good friend, Rob Shipman, on this morning. He's one of the top teaching professionals in, in the country here in the Midwest, especially. He's taught over 80 high school golf champions and uh, knows what he's talking about. I, I love having Rob on the show because we get into this discussion and before we know it, the show's over. And we're talking about golf and 
obviously the psychological component that goes into it. If you have a son or daughter that's playing or is learning how to play, we're getting into this now, talk, talking about kids and parental pressure. I've seen in my practice a change the last five to ten years with young people in sports. We're seeing athletes playing organized sports at younger and younger levels. There are competitions for five-year-olds now. There's even a soccer uh, company here in the Kansas City area that has soccer games for two-year-olds, which to me is absurd. Um, But nonetheless, we're seeing these competitions at younger and younger ages. Is that happening with golf as well? It is. I get people all the time, very, very young, very young little kids, parents asking me when, I'm just like, take your kid to the range and let him hit golf balls. Just let him hit golf balls. You know, it's just too young, just too young to be in any organized or, you know, structured thing at that time. I remember growing up, my dad would just take me to the driving range, give me a golf club and let me bang it. You know, that's that's how you kind of learn to do it. And it didn't matter where it went, you just hit it. Doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter at all. Just have fun. Where are we seeing organized tournaments now? What ages? Um, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty young. It's pretty young. It's, it's, um, actual ages, uh, nine, eight, nine, ten years old. Okay. So from your perspective in over 30 years of teaching, should we have tournaments for kids that age? And I'm not saying it's bad at that age. I, I don't know either. I mean, it's, you don't really know what you have in a golfer until, you know, they go through puberty and they get older. You just don't know. I mean, it's, you know, you see little kids, maybe 10, 11-year-olds that are good, and they get all these um, um, people thinking they're going to be so good. But you just don't know. You just don't know until they, you know, they grow up and go through puberty what you've got. I have, in fact, yesterday I had a young family in the office. Um, they have three little kids. Their oldest child is nine. He's a baseball player. And they're coming in because he feels pressure. He doesn't like it when people yell at him when he's playing baseball. In fact, one of the things we talked about, and this is a wonderful parents. These people are wonderful people. I said, listen, when you go, they were going to a game yesterday. And they said there are some parents that yell. And, and the mom actually sits in the outfield away from all these parents because she can't handle the yelling. I said, well, why don't you talk to the coach, who apparently is a really good guy, and why don't you suggest what I tell people? Bring, say, will you bring a bag of Tootsie Pops to give all the parents to suck on during the game? And before the, parent, before the game, have the coach go to the parents and say, suck on this. And give each parent a Tootsie Pop. And the parents, both of them grinned and looked at each other. And the mom said, you know, I think I'm going to do that. Because I think our coach will do that. Okay. With golf now, you've got parents following kids around on the course. You hear it all the time. All right. The pressure to succeed, the pressure to win, you know, we we see now, and I've talked about this forever, the pressure to get college scholarships, all the money that's spent towards athletic development, which which is great. But if you put all that money towards academic development, kids could get an academic scholarship much easier than than an athletic scholarship. Right. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because academic scholarships are all over the place and they're available. And, and you're right. There's so much pressure. There's there's so many good players and so few scholarships. And so what do you say? Okay, you're you're a pro. You're a teaching pro. 
you get parent. I know you get parents that come in and say, "I want you to teach my son or daughter." I've watched them. They've got some skills. I think they can be good. They might. I'm sure you've heard somebody at some point say, "I'd like to see them play in high school or maybe play in college." Right? I'm sure you've had that. Yeah, I mean, my job's no different from yours. I have parents who are fantastic, and I have parents who are over the edge of, of where they should be. So what, I mean, I know you've sent players to me before, but what, what do you do when you've got a, let's say it's a mom that comes in and says, you know, my daughter's really good. I want you to teach her. I think she, she you know, she's got some skills. I've played golf. You know, I, I, I can see it. I see it in her. I want you to teach her because I want her to, to play in high school. I think she could play in college, maybe even professionally. What do you say when you have a parent? And I'm sure you've had that before. Oh, it happens all the time. But, you know, for, for me, it's more about um, the process more than the result because parents just look at the score. They just look at the score. You know, what did they shoot? And you know how, you know how golf is, Andy. You can play good one day and bad one day, and maybe your score is better on the day you play bad. You know, it's just the way the game You played is. better the day you had a bad score because maybe you had two holes where you hit the ball out of bounds or your score was, was elevated, but the rest of the time you played pretty good. Yeah, it's just the process. I mean, it's possible to pull a putt and it hits something and go back and go in the hole, or maybe you misread it, you know. But if you keep hitting the putt online every time, you're going to make more than the other way. It's the process. Okay. In fact, it's funny you say that because – the oldest person I've ever seen privately in my office was years ago, and she was from Milburn Country Club. She was 81 years old, and I, you, know, you fill out a form when you come in my office, and why you're seeing Dr. Jacobs, and she put down, because my putting sucks, and she was 81 years old. <laughs> and it did, and you know, because she was so concerned about missing the putt. And I said, why aren't you focusing on execution? And she took lessons, this is years ago, why don't you focus on your execution rather than the result? Well, because you got to put the ball in the hole, right? But you're thinking about your score instead of thinking about, like you said, the process. Yeah, you know, I actually have a, a training aid. I don't, I don't know if we've ever used it that forces you to think more about the execution than the ball going in the hole. So that, that's why I made it because it's so important, and that's how tour players think. So, so with parents, Rob, when you've got a parent who who's coming in saying this you know i think my 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 daughter's pretty good you know i'm i'm watching this you can tell the pressure's too much how do you handle that you know and you're working with this young person and maybe they are good maybe they're not that good doesn't matter but you can tell the pressure from the parents is is too much what do you do and how do you handle that yeah you got to be delicate with that or else they're going to say we're going to go take less from somebody else True. <clears throat> you know, like I tell every kid, or it doesn't have to be a kid, anybody, every time they come in, I'm just like, our goal is just to get better this week. Just get better. We just want to keep steadily getting better. It's not so much the score, it's, it's just getting better. It can be real detrimental if they put too much pressure on that kid. I mean, I've, it can be really detrimental. So what do you say? Give us, can you give us an example before we go to our I'll break give, here in a couple minutes? Well, give us an example. I'll give you an example. I have a kid that's really good at golf. This kid's good, flat good. How old? He is 17 right now. He should be playing in high school golf right now, and he's not. He's playing a different sport that he's not as good at because he just has fun playing it. And that's a shame because this kid's good at golf. And what happened with this kid 
is as he was growing up, if he hit a bad shot on the golf course or if he missed a putt, they would say, oh, hit another one. You didn't. You're better than that. I know you won't do that when you play. Or if he misses a three-foot putt, they say, oh, you could have made that. So at the end of the day, he's shooting these low scores that are not really the actual score he's shooting. So then when he gets in competition and can't get the mulligan or the extra shot, the scores are high. And so he's he's unrealistic on what he thinks he should be shooting. So that, that parent didn't mean to make golf so miserable, but too much pressure. Did you say anything to the parents about that? Always. I'm always like, you know, we can't be taking a mulligan. You know, you got to play golf, shoot your score, know what we're shooting, then we'll know what to compare it against. I'm going to give you some more of my business cards. Um, no, but, but, but seriously, that but you see that a lot, right? And they don't mean to do anything negative. They don't mean to, right. But right. then you get, But then you get the parents who have that pressure and put that pressure on those kids, which we'll talk about here in the, this last segment as we come back. I'm talking to Rob Shipman. He's one of the te- top teaching golf pros in the country. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. 
She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio at 10 WHB. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports, and today we're having a great conversation with my guest, Rob Shipman from the Shipman Golf Institute at Milburn Country Club in Kansas City. And we've been talking about, obviously, the psychological side of golf and parents and pressure and all this type of stuff. So give me your definitions of three words. First, first one's winning. What's winning mean to you? Winning. You put me on the spot there. Let well, I know. Think. I know. That's why winning. you're here. Um, I think that I would call winning. Like if I played golf and felt like I won, I would just feel like I played very well that day. If I just played well. Because you don't have control of your opponent, right, Andy? You don't have control of your opponent in golf. Oh, so, psychologically you do. Yeah. So... As long as I play what you well. Say, what you say to your opponent, you can get in your opponent's heads pretty easily, right? Um, yeah, I guess. You, it depends on who that person yeah. is. but okay. You so, can even get in their head without even trying. Right. Right? I'll give you an example. Um, people play slow, right? Some people who like to play fast and they're playing with someone to play slow, it'll affect their game. Should it? I don't know if it should or not. It probably shouldn't. I ha- Well, just to, along the line, just to interrupt you right there. One of my good friends who I've played with forever, he likes to get up, grip it, and rip it, basically. Mm-hmm. And we played for a while with, he's a physician, with another physician who I have never seen anyone take more time in their pre-shot routine than this guy. He would take 10 practice swings, and each one would be in slow motion. And so my other friend finally said to him, listen, hit the blank ball. I'm <laughs> sick of you doing this. If you don't do it, I'm not playing with you anymore. He goes, and the other guy says, well, this is how I play, and if you don't want to play with me, don't play. He says, all right, I'm done, and he walked off. There you go. He, he got in the cart and dro- drove off. And the, and does that guy playing slow really have anything to do with his golf game? No. no it doesn't. It doesn't It doesn't have any direct effect on his golf game. Except the other guy felt like it was getting in, affecting his routine. Okay, so winning is playing well. Losing. Mm, you know, I, I I always want people to prepare. I mean, if you don't prepare, if you don't practice, and you go to a golf tournament, you go to play golf, and you play bad, that's actually from lack of preparedness than just, you know, not playing well. Um, yeah. I mean, only one person actually wins a golf tournament, so... Well, only one person comes in first place. Right, only one person comes Is in first I, well, place. Everybody can win if they so, played well. So I don't know that coming in second or tenth is losing as long as you you know prepared and tried as hard as you could. As long as you try as hard as you can, what more can you do? I don't think there is. So, so your definition of losing would be what? Not to try as hard as you can, maybe. Okay. Okay. So then what about self-confidence? Self-confidence, you know... There's a very, very good golfer. Him and I have talked about this a lot. And 
you know, confidence breeds good shots. Good shots breed confidence. Chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, but what I, comes first? You yeah, don't know. I mean, if you're, he always felt like, if he had his technique correct, that created the confidence to hit the shot. He always felt like he could always tell before he hit it if his technique wasn't right on that day, and then he felt unconfident over the golf ball. But that would be, you know obviously more your line of work than mine but that's how he felt about it very accomplished golfer so your definition of confidence self-confidence would be what the, abil- the, 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 the feeling like you're going to hit the shot before you hit it so so my definition of those three words are winning to me is did you do the best you could that day has nothing to do with what place you came in Losing means you quit, you gave up, you stopped trying. Okay, similar, yeah. And confidence to me is believing in yourself. So basically the same things. And and here's the thing with, with a sport like golf, as much as any sport, you're going to hit a bad shot. I mean, no one goes through 18 holes. I've never heard of anyone who played 18 holes and hit every shot great. You're going to hit. You're going to hit some shots. Maybe you played really well, but you, you may have mishit a couple. Right. You could. There's always a shot. Like I said, the the situation with Tiger Woods where he shot the 59. Uh-huh. In the practice round, where he said, "Well, I could have. I left two putts short. I should have shot 57." Of course, if he shot 57, he would have said there was this other shot. So there's always something else you can you can pick up on. Yeah. No one's ever shot 54, right? Not that I know. Well, <laughs> I, I have for nine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Here. Here's so. So look. As I, as I said earlier, you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. How do you teach young people especially, or even, even the older players, to have a stronger mind? Because that's part of what you're teaching them as a golf professional. Well, I try. Um, I, you, you already said you, there's the three things, and one of them is some people are just gifted with it. You know, some people are just gifted with it, and other people aren't. And, you know, if they, and the, you know, again, for me, if they aren't gifted with that, that's when I do the repetitive drills to get them to count those shots. That's how I do it. Okay. But where should score? So this, this obviously in golf, score matters. Score Your matters. score matters. Right. I don't care how young or old or experienced or inexperienced you are, score does matter because you add it up. Mm-hmm. When... Should score become important? Where should it be important? Well, it, it's always important. Um, this is uh, what I do. What I like to do is I I delve into the analytics of the score. That's how I do it. I want to know where the scores are. So you know, counting putts, counting fairways, where missed greens are. I want to know where those shots are missing on the golf course, so I know where to put the resources in on the practice. But, you know, score is important, but at the same time, you can't make a good score. It's just got to happen. Okay. You talked earlier so much about effort and execution. Shouldn't that be the primary focus when you go out to play? Undoubtedly. I mean, you hear it all the time. People shoot a good round, and then they get in and add up their score. Like, I didn't even know I had that good a score going because they're not focused on the score. But on the other side, you hear guys all the time like, hey, I knew if I just made bogey on the last three holes, I'd had my best score ever. They never make bogey on the last three holes. Because they're thinking, yeah, because they could score. I had had a player years ago who was a collegiate player. He was playing a tournament out in California. 
He came up on the 17th hole, which is a par three, short, like 115, 20-yard par three. He's leading the tournament by two strokes. Or excuse me, it was the 16th hole, 16th hole. And the coach, who was an ex-PGA professional, was sitting in the golf cart. It was the third, third round, leading by two strokes, sitting in the, in the golf cart and says, don't hit in the trap everybody else did. There you go. The so, don't word. Never so he plunks it word. in the front trap. Is all ticked off, hits it over the green in a trap behind, chips on the on the green, rolls off the front, hits his next putt, misses it, he gets a triple bogey, loses the tournament by one. There you go. They came back here to town. Uh, he came in my office the next day. He was furious at this this golf pro, at the coach. And he sort of, for five minutes, just went off on, on the coach and how he ruined... The, the tournament he goes I lost this because of him I said no he didn't you didn't lose it because of him you lost because of you why were you listening to what he said and right. why didn't you go through your pre-shot visualization routine and he sat there and it was like he just stopped he said you're right I said your score doesn't matter until you sign your card that's right and your score doesn't matter until the ball goes in the hole in the 18th green I have another guy I teach a tour player and he struggled to make cuts. He struggled to make cuts. And he changed his mindset. Instead of going, and he always was like, what do I need to shoot to make the cut? What I, Instead of doing that, he started thinking, I'm going to play this golf tournament to win. And so he would go out there with every week just trying to shoot the lowest scores he could. All of a sudden he made cuts without even trying. You know, because you, know, you set your bar to make the cut, you're going to be at that number. This sport, maybe uh, if you take a, any sport, all sports, it's probably the most difficult one because the score is constantly there mm-hmm. on every shot you're thinking of your score. And that's where, to me, if you focus on effort, it becomes the really important part. So, Rob, listen, it's been great having you on again. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Because I know, I, know, I know you're busy. You're, you're, you, you've got people from all over the place coming and, and work with you. But how can they get a hold of you? I, I teach at the, you know, the beautiful Melbourne Country Club. I'm so lucky to be able to teach there. Uh, my phone number is 816-582-3530. As always, thank you for coming on with me today. It, it was my been, pleasure. It's, it's great. These, I, we, you know, we could do this for five hours. It would be I mean, fun, just, wouldn't it? Well, I like obviously this is what I do. I live and breathe sports psychology. Um, everybody who knows me knows that. But it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I hope hope some people get a hold of you. Thank I'm, you. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Lots of ways to get a hold of me, as you know. You can reach me through my website winnersunlimited.com. You send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Follow me on Twitter at at drj sports psych. Give me a call at my office eight one six. Five six one five 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 six. Have a great day. Have a great week. Stay well. Talk to you next week. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development 
Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. 